HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash curd. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Comte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're turning our attention to how the global pandemic is impacting our mental health and how food brings us comfort during these times. I've never understood why people have said I'm brave for solo dining. Food can kind of be a source of solace or it can be a, a source of excitement or like an activity to, to keep you busy. When there's a crisis, typically the restaurant industry is one of the industries that springs into action in terms of being like, well, come in, we'll take care of you. Tune in to Meet and 3 to learn more about the psychological effects of COVID-19. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, uh, it's Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd. I want to welcome today Ari Weinzweig to Cutting the Curd. I've interviewed him before about books he's written, but today I want to talk to him about his business, what it's been like under COVID-19, and also now more recently, Black Lives Matter movement. Hi, Ari. Hello, Diane. How are How you? How are you doing? Well, other than a pandemic, <laughs> the explosion of 500 years of racism coming to the fore, uh, other than all that, I'm doing great. Well, and I also happened to see online that you opened the store today. Well, we opened the Zingerman's Roadhouse today for indoor seating. Right. Uh, we've been open in all the businesses throughout. Uh, the deli and the roadhouse, we've been doing carry, and Miss Kim, our other restaurant, we've been doing carry out and delivery uh-huh. throughout the whole thing. But today we opened uh, at the cafe next door at the deli, uh, and then we also opened uh, the, the Zingerman's Roadhouse for seating inside. Wow. So is that big? Well, I think everything's big. Uh <laughs> No, I mean it. Uh, yeah. It's the little things add up to the big things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it is, you know, but at the same time, it's one more day and a long process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, we have a lot to discuss. So let's start with your business history, just briefly. Okay. How did you and your original partner, Paul Saginaw, come up with the plan for Zingerman's? So let's see, uh, origin stories. I grew up in Chicago. I came to Ann Arbor to go to school at the University of Michigan, mm-hmm. where I studied Russian history with a particular focus on the anarchists, which we can talk about if you want. Uh, and then after graduating with my history degree, although visioning is now a huge piece of what we teach and attempt imperfectly to live every day, uh, I had really no vision. 
only <laughs> only what uh, David White, W-H-Y-T-E, the poet and writer whose work I really like a lot, uh, calls the via negativa. And that's where you're clueless about where you want to go, but you're really clear where you don't want to go. And I knew I didn't want to go back home. So okay. in order to stay and not go home, I didn't know where else to go. Ann Arbor kind of seemed okay. I actually love it now. At the time, it was more like I didn't know what else to do. And uh, one of my college roommates was waiting tables at a restaurant in downtown Ann Arbor, which is 12 minutes from the edge of Ann Arbor. And uh, so I went in there and applied for a job as a server. And they interviewed me and said they'd call me. I waited. They didn't call me. After a couple of weeks, I went back and reapplied as a busser. And they didn't hire me. And I waited two more weeks or so. And then I went back and I said, hey, uh, I'll do anything. I really need to work. They said, do you want to wash dishes? I said, sure. And that's how I got started. So no, no, <laughs> un unlike many of my peers, I did not grow up in the food business. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't even grow up in business. I didn't even know you could go into business. All my family were teachers, doctors, lawyers, dentists, mm -hmm. psychologists and stuff. So I was like the failure of the family. And I honestly, I, I mean, at some level I must have known, but I really didn't even think like business was a thing you could do. Uh -huh. uh, so I really just got lucky and I had no particular interest in food or cooking either. I just needed a job. So I lucked out because I stumbled into work that I love, which is the food world. And mm -hmm. then also great people. So Paul Saginaw, who you mentioned, was has been my partner for whatever, 38 plus years. He was the general manager at that restaurant when I started mm -hmm. washing dishes. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but Frank Carollo, who's one of the partners in our bakery, was a line cook and Maggie Bayless, who's one of the partners in Zing Train, our training business, was a cocktail waitress that started about a year later. So So you all stuck together. We have all stuck together. I just Frank <laughs> is I guess I, I don't even like the word, so it makes me anxious to say it, but he's retiring in the winter. Oh, and I no. wrote I wrote a long piece uh, in that was in our newsletter, uh, which is on the Zingerman's community com site about our friendship and uh, you know, all of the years of being together. Mm -hmm. So what was important to you then when you started Zingerman's? Well, I think a lot of what's important now, we're just able to elucidate it more effectively. And then we've expanded our circle of understanding and knowledge, which hopefully in 20 years, we will have expanded it enormously again. But uh, we, we didn't write a vision down then either because we didn't know you could write a vision down. But mm -hmm. uh, in hindsight, which as a history major, of course, is what all there really is uh, in terms of history. In, in hindsight, I would say we knew from the beginning a couple key things. We wanted something really unique. Uh, I, I like unique things. I've I put a pamphlet out about a year and a half ago called The Art of Business, which is really my evolving belief that business and life are like art or music or poetry, whatever form you prefer. And that the more we would view our businesses and our lives, like we were making music that people are going to be listening to in 50 years, we would pay a lot more attention. So I, I like the Ooh. originals and the unique things. Uh, we knew from the beginning that we wanted really great food and great service, and we wanted to provide a really positive place for people to work. And from the beginning, we knew that we only wanted one of them. Uh, I, I'm not saying others shouldn't open multiple units, but I've always been drawn to uh, to the single unit places mm -hmm. and the ones that, you know, really just something special when you walk in there and you know you're in, in an original space. So that was pretty clear mm -hmm. from the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say the general wisdom when we opened was we were doomed to fail. <laughs> and Harvard had Why? 10 or 12. Well, because there were, because... People, <laughs> there's a great book called uh, Ignore Everybody by Hugh McLeod and M-A-C-L-E-O-D. And he says that the more, the better your idea, the more creative your idea, the more likely it is that people will hate it in the beginning. And uh, <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke, the now Sri Lankan, then Ceylonese science fiction writer said all Great ideas, I'm paraphrasing, but all great ideas go through three stages. Stage one is completely impossible. It'll never work. Stage mm -hmm. two, it might be possible, but it's not very practical. And stage three, I was behind it from the beginning. So we, we've kind of <laughs> gone, <laughs> gone down that path with everything meaningful we've ever done. But Ann Arbor had, I don't know, a dozen delis closed in the previous decade. People told us the neighborhood was not a good neighborhood, uh, mm. which to our later discussion, it, it, 
it is was the old uh, middle class African American neighborhood. Um, mm. The parking is non-existent to this day, uh, and it's on a lot of one-way streets in that neighborhood, so challenging to get to, although with cell phones, that part's kind of been alleviated. Uh-huh. Now, I imagined you were near campus. Well, it's all relative. Uh, compared to where you are, we're really close to the campus, but we're about 10 or 12 blocks away, okay. uh, which in Ann Arbor... Is a, you know, it was a is long far. way. Right. And I, you know, I went to school here too, and I didn't have a car. Mm-hmm. And the school year here is kind of short. The, you don't get a big break at, at the winter break or anything. So you're really mm-hmm. only here from early September through mid-April. So you, mm. you really only get like three to four weeks of nice weather. And, you know, walking, <laughs> a, walking a few miles in December to, to downtown Ann Arbor and when it's 14 degrees is... It's, it's you got to really so, want to have a beer. Right. Uh, not a good idea. Yeah. So we, we certainly are, uh, you know, we're not million so miles not, from campus, but we are not on campus. And I would okay. not say that student business is the core of our business. At oh, all. and I was worried because I saw how many kids go to Michigan and I thought, geez, if they were sent home early, you're, you're, you must've been in worse shape uh, when they were sent home. Well, it's all an ecosystem, and it would be, I don't know what the word is, naive, silly to mm-hmm. for me to not think that the fact that there's 35,000 people missing from the town, not to mention their parents and relatives who would have come right. the first weekend of May for commencement, which is right. typically and the busiest week of the year, right. and the right. people who don't need to be here working who can work remotely, that that's not having an impact. But since this is our first pandemic, I don't really have much to measure against. Right, right. That's true. Uh, So anyway, so, okay. So um, now you're known for your open book finance Mm -hmm. uh, attitude. And um, can you describe that a little bit? Sure. I mean, hopefully we're known for more than just open book, but that's one piece of what we do. Uh, We teach Zing Train seminars on it. It's a methodology, a process, a mindset that essentially is about involving everybody in the organization in the running of the business. And in order to make that meaningful, one needs to share the numbers with them and teach them what the numbers actually mean. So Mm -hmm. it means in a practical day-to-day sense, people know what the sales are. People know if we're losing money. People start to learn what cash flow means. People start Mm -hmm. to learn what capital expenditures are. People start to understand how paying taxes on profitability and loan payments and interest payments and all the stuff that I didn't learn in school because I didn't go to business school, <laughs> but, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that we're, we're trying to teach everybody so that it's, it's always helpful. And I would say it's a, it's a system that I w- would recommend to every organization. We learned it mm-hmm. from the people who did the primary work around it, which was uh, Springfield remanufacturing company in Springfield, Missouri. And, the and what do of- they make? Well, they do. I wouldn't have known until I went there many years ago, but it's just what it sounds like. They remanufacture. So they get, they buy up old engine parts and they re-fix them up and then they sell them. But Hmm. over the years, they now have multiple companies that do multiple things, uh, not completely dissimilar to the way that we do it. But they, they developed that system really in 1982, which is coincidentally the same year Paul and I opened the deli. Huh. Okay. Now, um, okay, so I have to brag about you a little bit. Even though we're not related. (laughs) Right, even though we're not related. So you are in Heritage Radio Network's Hall of Fame, first of all. Did you know that? Uh, I might have at some point. I don't really. (laughs) That's the radio station. I'm not big on awards. It's okay. There's okay. nothing against Heritage Radio. I love Heritage Radio. I just, like, I have a James Beard thing, too, but it's hanging in the upstairs corner somewhere at the deli. Okay. Now, another thing that you got was you're the world's 10 top CEOs from Inc. Magazine. Now, that seems impressive. I guess. I don't know how they decided it. <laughs> well, I think it's because you're unique. 
that okay. you, I mean, your, yeah. your open book finance plan is unique. Well, there's a lot more that we, you know, we're, we're like all our meetings are open, right? Our visioning work, servant leadership, all mm-hmm. the anarchist stuff. There's, there's quite a bit that we do uh, that's unique and different. And yes. a lot of it, to be to be clear, I mean, a lot of it we learned from other people. I, I like to give credit to where we learned it. So I think what's ultimately the most unique is the way we've put other people's pieces together because there's truly nothing really new in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, everything has been developed somewhere by somebody. It's it's really just reconfiguring the pieces. And mm-hmm. uh, so we the visioning work was originally done by a guy named Ron Lippett here at the University of Michigan. I never met him, but in the 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, servant leadership was developed by Robert Greenleaf, who wrote an amazing book in 1979 called Servant Leadership. Uh, Peter Black, I just talked to on the phone the other night, lives in Cincinnati now. He wrote Stewardship, which we learned a lot from. So it's it's trying to create this, I guess, intellectual ecosystem or organizational ecosystem that Mm-hmm. draws from all sorts of resources because there's a lot of wisdom in the world all over the place. But it's much nicer, I think, than a lot of a lot of business beliefs. Well, I, I yeah, because there's, <laughs> there's no, well, I, I, I agree. And I think kindness, generosity, humility, empathy, compassion, these are really important life skills. And I would suggest are hugely applicable in, in, in organizations in too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. So how did it happen um, in Ann Arbor and Michigan for COVID-19 to change the world? Well, what, I what think sh- it happened pretty much how it seems to have happened everywhere else. I mean, okay. We, okay. It, it wasn't later. It was. Uh, well, here I can tell you. I, ha- it was around I, I think May. you saw the um, piece I wrote in March. Mm-hmm. It's actually right, three right. months this week. Right. So uh, I remember because I went to San Francisco, Tammy, my girlfriend, and I went to San Francisco and I did a book of it at Heath Ceramics, which is a wonderful uh, ceramics, artisan ceramics business in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the Bay Area. Uh, we did the event on Friday night and on Saturday I went to a little artisan chocolate show in San Francisco and we flew home on Monday and on Tuesday night. Uh, so it's uh, five years ago last month, my dog died. Oh, uh, I'm her sorry. Her Jelly Bean. Well, thank you. Well, she lived to be 17. So she mm-hmm. had a good life, even mm-hmm. though it still sucked, but she had a good life and she ran with me for much of those 17 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then shortly after she died, we decided to create some positive fundraiser that we could do a good cause in her memory and that february we started the jelly bean jump up because that was the month she was born and we do it for safe house center which is the uh the the center uh for women uh and children whoever's a victim of domestic abuse in our community you can use Mm -hmm. safe house center and so this is the fifth year that we've done it and the closing event is to do a dinner at zingerman's roadhouse and this year we did it on the tuesday night i think it was march 10th and uh, the next day, everything started to come apart. Uh-huh. And by by Monday, we had been instructed by the governor, as was almost everybody else at very slightly different times, to close uh, oh, close wow. up dining rooms. So I remember all the dates because it was all around uh, that dinner. And, and mm-hmm. a, as is true for much of life, the dinner, the the fundraiser that month we raised uh, thirty five thousand dollars for Safe House Center so for mm-hmm. victims of domestic abuse that's, that was hugely positive mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. dinner went super well uh, and then it all just and then sort the of world started fell coming apart, apart. Yep. right right huh. now how long do you, did you think at that point that it would last well having been through thirty or forty pandemics I had a pretty no. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, the first week it was really, to be honest, I mean, it was it was kind of like just trying to breathe and stay right. grounded enough to get through each day. Right. Uh, I don't think I knew. We didn't know. Well, I know I didn't know. We didn't know. I, yeah. You know, could yeah. Some people and- were thinking, I, I, did I think it was going to be two years? 
Mm, probably not, but I, mm -hmm. I think it was more just trying to get through the week or the, the next right. week, right. not really trying to figure out how long ultimately. I feel it like I didn't know it was even going to be this long. I don't think anybody really knew it much. It right. seems like. Right. Yeah. Now, did you imagine uh, at that point that you would have to reopen with all these changes and safety precautions that are sometimes mandated by law? No, because yeah. even the people who know a lot more than I do in medicine didn't know. Right, right, right. Or if they did, they weren't telling us. But I don't think right. I'm going to choose to believe they didn't know. So, right. so no, we had no clue. Yeah. We had yeah. no clue. And now, I, what I have is just being a history major, just trying to go back and started reading articles about the Spanish flu. And at least it reminded me humans have been through this before. And, mm -hmm. and then also to remind myself that we've been through 9-11 We've mm -hmm. been through 2009. We opened the deli in 1982 when uh, unemployment was almost as high as it's been now, when mm -hmm. interest rates to the bank were 18%. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, so the, the economy was in horrible condition then. Mm -hmm. We made it through that. So mm -hmm. I don't mean this is easy and I don't mean it's good. It's not. Mm -hmm. But I just right. try to remind myself and then remind people that we work with that we have been through adversity we were born in adversity and mm -hmm. we're going to get through this mm. well that's a good attitude i like that well, now hope, what... hope is very important <laughs> well it is i i wrote a lot about hope in part four yeah. of the business book and if people have low hope or no hope they it's very difficult to get through yeah. and false yeah. hope's no good either so i'm not just making right. stuff up for people. But I do believe if we stick together, as you said, and stay kind and collaborative and watch the, the numbers together, we can do a good job mm -hmm. and we can survive. Mm -hmm. Now, what, what will you do if a new surge appears? Well, I guess we're going to find out what we do. <laughs> and you can interview me again in the fall and I'll tell you what we did. Okay. I don't know. Right. I mean, right. I, I now, we're preparing sign? in my mind. I'm preparing for everything from we have to close the dining rooms again to uh -huh. to it gets better magically, which would be right. awesome, but right. unlikely right. to right. somebody comes up with a vaccine super mm -hmm. fast to mm -hmm. somebody comes up with a vaccine, but not for another year. Right. Uh, right. And I'm going to believe that somebody's going to come up with a vaccine because even though I didn't go to med school like my grandmother wanted me to, other people did, and they're <laughs> right. smart. And every lab and in the world, working on I'm it. believing that every on lab it. in the world is yeah. working almost round the clock trying to figure right. it out so the rest right. of us can benefit from it. Now, did you apply for PPP? We did. Mm -hmm. Did you get it? Uh, we did. We So we, all our organization, we have all of the businesses are separate businesses. We have oh, different managing okay. partners in each business. Uh, they all have separate financials. We can't just move money from one to the next. So it's whatever it was, nine or 10 different loans. Uh, mm -hmm. Some are smaller because like our uh, creamery has like nine employees. Mm -hmm. uh, we make cheese by hand. Our uh, Miss Kim had probably 20. Now it has mm -hmm. like seven or mm -hmm. eight or nine. Uh, mm -hmm. So we have some small businesses all the way up to the deli where maybe 200 employees before mm -hmm. all this started. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so yes, we did get them. Uh, the original intent seemed awesome. The original application <laughs> was, was not as subpar awesome. <laughs> uh, for many reasons. I've been part of uh a really wonderful group called the independent restaurant coalition, which is doing fantastic work. The website is saverestaurants.com, mm -hmm. And they really, I, I believe through the work of the people in that group, uh, got the bill introduced that ended up being the Phillips Roy bill that was passed by this Congress and then the Senate and signed by the white house of 10 days ago or something, mm -hmm. uh, which made some pretty significant fixes to the, application the of the PPP, mm -hmm. which will help many places because we, like many food business, restaurant businesses where, you know, we were doing maybe 35% of sales through 
carry out and to go in, mm-hmm. in the Delhi Roadhouse and Miss Kim. So, but you need to have 100% of staff in order to get the loan forgiven like it was intended to be. Mm-hmm. But you only have a third of your business and you're not supposed to pack people in the building. So what do you do? Right. What do you so, do with those people? Right. Well, and how do you, if you bring them back, how do you get them? You know, so there was a whole right. mess of problems. Anyway, the Phillips Roy bill has helped a lot and, and mm-hmm. uh, independent restaurant coalition made a really big difference. Mm-hmm. And the next thing is uh, that they're starting to work on is, is the work around what has been called a stabilization act, which would help to finish the bridge because PPP is kind of like building a bridge partway over the river. It's mm-hmm. great while you're on it, but it's not going to get you all the way to the other side. And if there's mm-hmm. no way to get to the other side, you're going to fall off. Mm-hmm. Now you employ more than 700 people. We did. Uh, yeah. We furloughed about 250 or something uh, within three or four days, which was not. Oh, a great that must thing have been have. painful. Very. But because but that's probably not but I want to be empathic for the people that we furloughed because. Right. But the problem is if you, if one doesn't take some action pretty quickly. You'll be out of business. There's no business left. So right. Right. Uh, the idea was let's do what we need to do in a caring and dignified way. And let's mm-hmm. try to get through this so that we can stay in business and hopefully rehire, bring back as many of those people as we can. Mm-hmm. And that's been happening. So the PPP loans did as they were supposed to help like at Zinc Train our training business where people could work from home. It was perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as we've picked up business and now with Reop, just because I was just at the roadhouse today, uh, we think there's only, there's some people chose to take a leave of absence because they felt uncomfortable working or they mm-hmm. had other things going on in their lives, having nothing to do with us or pandemics. Uh, but there's only, there's under 10 people left out there, I think on furlough. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Now, what what is does the University of Michigan have a plan for the students coming back? I yeah. Do not know. I okay. I don't know if they may have one, but I don't know what it is. And okay. I think they're still trying to figure it out and I don't envy right. them trying to figure it out. Right, right. Cuz there's have been a lot of different uh plans organized by colleges apparently like yeah. some have them coming earlier and then leaving uh-huh. earlier in case there's a surge or right. you know yeah I don't, I don't i i i would say almost everybody has been negatively impacted by the pandemic many people more yes. than we have and and also some people are doing well but not that many mm-hmm. and i uh, do not envy college presidents trying to figure out what to do mm-hmm yeah. Now, what what do you think were the most pronounced short term effects for your business with with COVID nineteen? Well, I mean, the immediate furloughing of that many people mm-hmm. in an mm-hmm. organization that cares about people, and we're highly mm-hmm. imperfect, but is trying to create as best we can, imperfectly as we are doing it, mm-hmm. a, a positive workplace to have. Mm-hmm. To, to do something like that is pretty difficult, but mm-hmm. sales. <laughs> right. And then all of the negative financial implications that come from that. And then there's all, I'm not necessarily putting these in any order, but there's the obvious health scares and risks that go mm-hmm. with it and, mm-hmm. and the anxiety mm-hmm. that everybody pretty much in the country has, or Felt. everybody I know has been feeling. I don't know what mm-hmm. the people I don't mm-hmm. know have been feeling. Uh, the uncertainties and my friend in Ireland, Ashling Rogerson, who co-owns the Fumbly Cafe in Dublin, calls it riding the Corona Coaster. <laughs> and I like that because it's, yeah. it's kind of true. Like every day, yeah. you're one minute you're up, then you're down, you think you got it going on, and everything falls right. out from underneath you. And your mm. one stomach has that same. I don't actually like roller coasters, so I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't really don't like that them. feeling that your one stomach gets when you whatever go over the crest of the of the right roller right. coaster ride now do you have anything um more specific to say about the cheese business uh i heard rumors that cheese cures coronavirus 
now they're still doing no i i, I wish that were if that were true man we would be, well, that like would if be very artisan think cheese. about it, artisan cheese minimizes impact of uh <laughs> well it's hard i i guess if people were in supermarkets it seems like sales were booming uh mm -hmm. we're not really a supermarket so we didn't have that that situation right, right. uh to the credit of our creamery everybody has stayed focused and kept making cheese we actually introduced mm -hmm. two new artisan cheeses right in the first few weeks because we thought we had timed it really well to like be ahead of passover easter and oh. graduation and have a couple new things to put out but it turned out to be terrible timing but who knew mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. but one of them is a little uh, washed rind that we're uh, washing with Ann Arbor Distillery at Water Hill Absinthe. So that's mm. kind of cool. What's and it called? It's called Water Hill after that because oh. it's a little neighborhood in Ann Arbor. And then uh -huh. uh, the other one is uh, a little bit of a brie uh, made without stabilizers that we have had years of requests to do. And uh, they both turned out pretty good. But okay. we've just tried to, with all of it, I, I think really, I guess the biggest thing for me has been how inspiring the work of our whole organization has been and just how everybody stayed grounded through all of this and stayed caring and kind, like we talked about earlier. And it's, it's the systems and the rigor that we have imperfectly put in place work. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and so when people know how to run a meeting and then there's a pandemic, they still know how to run a meeting and you mm -hmm. need to run a good meeting in a pandemic yeah. because yeah. not much else is working. Uh, people, we use consensus to make decision at the partner level. So that's about whatever, 20 people, which includes three staff partners, we call them. And we just, and aren't you meeting on zoom? We're meeting on zoom, not particularly yeah, my favorite yeah, way, but yeah. it works. And, and we started <laughs> meeting twice a week for about eight weeks and now we're back to once uh -huh. a week. Okay. Uh, but I guess my point is just that people know what to do and they're able to adapt and they're much more resilient. And mm -hmm. it's really been inspiring just to, to watch how great a job everybody does and to be part of such a positive community, both within our organization. And then I feel really fortunate to be in a positive community here in, in Ann Arbor. Okay. So it's time to take a break. I'm talking to Arya Weinswag from Zingerman's on Cutting the Curd, and we'll be back soon. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com go slash curd. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conte within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conte. Conte takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conte is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conte is the same. 
Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. Hi, I'm Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd, and I'm talking to Ari Reinsweig from Zingerman's. And uh, now we're going to tackle, you know, in the midst of COVID-19, then George Floyd is killed in Minneapolis, and understandably, another Black Lives Matter movement is immediately re-energized. And what effect can we, what should the cheese business do? Well, I, I'm, I guess it's, for me, it's more of a universal question than the cheese world. I, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't claim in, to remotely be an expert. I, I guess what I would say is from my perspective is that we are all a part of the problem. Uh, as a history major, who's not the world's expert, but trying over the years to study history, African-American history. Uh, this is, although the George Floyd situation is horrible and tragic and terrible, it's not new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so this is 500 years of this happening. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, again, I'm not the expert. There's people who know way more than I do. I guess I just feel like it's our responsibility to help to change systems and change cultures and change beliefs both our own at low levels that we might not even realize we have, and Mm -hmm. then also much more widely held social beliefs, and to really look at ourselves and look at the world around us and to acknowledge that we're all part of this ecosystem and that there's a history, repeated history of violence against Black people that's been going on since Europeans arrived in the continent, also against Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And, and that I, I, I look at organizations, like I said earlier, as ecosystems. And so everything in the ecosystem impacts everything else. And because mm-hmm. of that, I, I don't know how one can reasonably deny that we aren't part of the situation that's going on. And I... I have contributed to the problem, whether it was intentional or unintentional is really kind of moot at this point. Mm-hmm. But the important thing is I can choose to try to make it better. Mm-hmm. And, and so how, it, it, what are it, your ideas though? Do you well, have ideas to make I, Again, I, I'm a small drop in the ocean who doesn't know a lot and is trying mm-hmm. to always learn more. But uh, you're but thoughtful. We, you're thoughtful. Yeah. And you have good intentions. Yes. And we're trying. We have a, a section of our 2032 vision uh, that talks about diversity and addresses many of the issues that are coming up right now are not, like I said, new issues. So we had already written that, uh, but we have to implement it. It's in our guiding mm-hmm. principles. It's in our belief statement of beliefs that we've been working on. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a di- the things other people are doing too. We have a diversity inclusion committee. We're trying to do more and more training. We need to be better about being more engaged and active in, A, helping people realize where unconscious biases are getting in their way, uh, mm-hmm. me included. B, uh, do a much more active job of trying to get systems changed. Uh, I have a friend who was just texting me. He's a good friend of mine. He's doing amazing work in the community. Earlier in his life, he did some things that ended him up in jail. And because of that, he cannot work at certain places in town. (laughs) This Mm -hmm. is from 15 years ago. Uh, You know, so there's systemic things that have been happening and are happening. And I guess we can work to do our part within the organization and then help shine a light on where they're happening 
in this community at large and do our best to make a positive difference to really state our, our sense of responsibility and honor that we've contributed to the problem, whether we meant to or not, it is really, like I said, kind of moot. And, mm-hmm. and then I, yeah, I think the history is huge and I, I, I would suggest most people, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but most people in the country do not know the history of the Black Codes, do not know the history of Jim Crow, do not know mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the rates of lynching that were taking place uh, in the country in the early part of the 20th century, do not know uh, what happened in the years after the Civil War. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and if you don't know that history and you don't know enslavement started and you don't know the horrors of all of that and the rationales that were created around racial science in order to justify i mean this has been going on for a long time and right again i i I know very little uh of what i would like to know and it's my job Mm -hmm. is to keep studying it and then to try to make a positive difference and to help correct Mm -hmm. things for those who've been wronged uh in the society So could you hire the guy who can't get a job? Well, I don't need, he's not, he has a job. He's just saying if he, he's, he runs a nonprofit called We the People Growers Association, which one of its aims is to bring agriculture back, farm back into the African-American community. There's a whole Mm -hmm. history of the USDA Mm -hmm. systemically pushing black people out of farming uh, over the course of the 20th century and the and latter year, latter decades of the 19th century. Uh, so he has that going. And then another part of it is to re, is to create jobs for returning citizens uh, mm-hmm. so that they can get jobs. But he was just saying if he really wanted to go work in these places, it wouldn't happen. He wouldn't even be allowed mm-hmm. to work there. Mm-hmm. So he's he's creating all this amazing work. <laughs> I'd hire Where him. He-, he used to work for us. We'd hire him in a heartbeat. Uh, mm-hmm. the problem is just systemically though, uh, that's not the case in a lot of spots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now on a totally lighter note, okay. I see I'm just following that, your lead. <laughs> yes. I, totally lighter. I see that you love and listen to Rhiannon Giddens. Oh yeah. You, you read my newsletter. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, I love her. I yeah. love her. And I've seen her a couple of times in New York. She had dinner and, at the Roadhouse. I met her there. Oh, I know. I was so jealous when I read that. <laughs> so and so what what did she teach you about banjos? Well, people if people want to uh read the piece if they or just if they want to ask me questions uh mm-hmm. or whatever, it's my email's Ari at Zingerman's.com. Uh, <laughs> So, okay. No, they can. And then if they go to zingermanscommunity.com, they can sign up for the e-news, which is weekly, which is what you're referring to. And that was last week's issue. Yes. And uh, so I wrote a whole book about beliefs. Yes. Uh, I And, and I want to ask about that, okay. too. So, so what so, are your what's well, your so, book so, about yeah. beliefs? Well, so uh, I did not invent this. I learned it from other people, but it's generally mm-hmm. not discussed, certainly not in the work world. It's, it's certainly discussed in the psychology world, but mm-hmm. um, we all have beliefs. The, all of what we've just discussed about racism and race mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. violence and people who've been imprisoned, or all of that is dealing with beliefs. People have beliefs about cheese. Going back to our earlier conversation, they have beliefs about business and kindness and caring. They're Mm -hmm. all beliefs. Uh, And all of those beliefs I started to learn uh, are part of essentially a self-fulfilling cycle that we're all living in. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're not religion, sports, or politics. Well, those are also beliefs, but I stay away from those most of the time because those okay. are the three categories of belief in which people like to converse but almost never change their minds. Uh, <laughs> and I want to get them off of that onto things that really impact, like beliefs that dishwashers are stupid or beliefs uh-huh. that, uh, whatever, beliefs that staff can't understand the finances, beliefs that Mm -hmm. somebody who's in leadership is a better person than the other one, Uh, Mm -hmm. beliefs that about everything, right? So Mm -hmm. um, beliefs about work, beliefs about working Sunday, beliefs about uh, 
your significant other, beliefs about people's kids. There's beliefs about everything. And, and then, so we're in, we're all living this self-fulfilling cycle uh, because when we have a belief, we take action based on that belief. Uh, mm-hmm. The people around us start to form their own beliefs, which are significantly influenced by our action. And then they act in turn on those beliefs. And it turns out like 95% of the time, it's reinforcing the original belief. So mm-hmm. if, a, if a leader were to believe that training in their organization is a waste of time because the employees don't care and they're kind of stupid, then what action will they take? Well, it's obvious they'll do almost no training, if any. What what will the beliefs of the staff become? Well, they're going to believe that the leader thinks they're stupid and there's no future there. <laughs> mm-hmm. They can't develop. What kind of action do they take? Well, they do as minimal and mediocre work as they can and get away with it because what's the point? They know there's no future. And the leader goes, thank God we didn't waste any money on training. Look how unmotivated these people are. Mm-hmm. You know, conversely, if you have the belief that we have, uh, and many people on Heritage Radio will share it, uh, which is that staff want to learn and they're capable of doing anything I'm capable of doing. Everybody we hire is capable of doing and, and then some. So then we do lots of training and from that training, people grow and become engaged in their own future and their own self-development. And mm-hmm. when people feel a sense of purpose and belonging and care, guess what? They do better work. And then we go, this training's awesome. Let's do even more. So that, that cycle's <laughs> playing out all day long for better and yes. for worse. Uh, yes. And, and then, as part of that cycle, uh, is and what, that's your what, newest book, right? That's the newest full book. Yeah, there's a couple pamphlets that have come out after mm-hmm. that, but mm-hmm. it, but as part of that, there's also a f- kind of a filter that we all have, which in, in the science world they call confirmation bias, but that we we essentially filter out the information that does not support our beliefs, mm-hmm. and we take in or seek out information that does support our beliefs. And then we can keep going. And then we go, which is why in the news right now, the people who <sighs> share somewhat of what I just had to say, and they could say it more eloquently and effectively than I can, but the, that share those beliefs will look in the news and see what just happened in Atlanta and be very upset for good reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the people who think it's ridiculous will just say, look what he did. He ran away from the police. Mm-hmm. It's his fault. And so we mm-hmm. all see a different reality based on our beliefs. And then mm-hmm. it's reinforced by those beliefs. And then mm-hmm. I'll stop. But the other piece of that was just is just the understanding that beliefs are not genetic. It's all learned. Mm-hmm. And so we can change them. <laughs> right. But, but right. nobody can make us change them. Right. And right. so, which we know, and we don't, people we don't died. feel like they can be changed in in our heads. Well, I that's the think. funny thing is that's a belief. <laughs> <laughs> but what I try to but one of the I things have I present in the book is that the belief <laughs> belief can be changed. So going back but to I have racism, good beliefs. I no, have good well, beliefs. Then don't change them because if they're working <laughs> and they're healthy and productive, it's awesome. But the right. point is that if we hold beliefs. Like that, here, let's get non-political. Like a belief that I'm not a good public speaker. Mm-hmm. I'll be so nervous when I get up there that I'll fail. And then I'll say, see, I knew I couldn't do it. And then I'll stop. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we'll never find mm-hmm. out. So it's a lot mm-hmm. of times they're just limiting about ourselves, about a relationship, about our partner mm-hmm. in life, our partner in business, about staff members and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And if they're not helping, it, then we can change them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and racism or anti-Semitism or the belief that women can't be good leaders, those are all just learned beliefs. Mm-hmm. Nobody's born that way. Right. Well, Ari, thank you very much for coming and discussing all this on Cutting the Curd. I really appreciated uh, this talk. It's my pleasure. The, uh, I was just going to add the most recent pamphlet was about Emma Goldman. Oh, Okay who lived in New York a lot of her life and uh-huh. uh, who loved good food. Oh, I didn't know that about her. Yeah. Well, last June 27th was her 150th birthday. And this was written, <laughs> I've written a lot about her and her work, but this was written in honor of that. And it was based in particular of particular relevance for this audience. It was based on 
I'd have to look up the year, but 1891, I think she and Alexander Berkman had a small luncheonette in Worcester, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was actually doing cheese. quite well. They, <laughs> well, she, her, she was famous for her blintzes among other things. Oh. Okay. And uh, anyway, it went quite well, but only lasted three or four months because they decided they needed to move back to New York to return to activism to try to overthrow the system. But the book is based on, the pamphlet is based on her, a lot of her advocacy, I believe is totally applicable to modern organizational life. And it was sort of a combination of that with a little, what if they had just stayed in food and tried to have a socially responsible business, it might've worked. (laughs) (laughs) And they could have been the predecessor for Zingerman's. Yeah, totally. And it's called going into business with Emma Goldman. Great, great. And all, so all the books are on zingtrain.com or zingermanspress.com, and my email is ari at zingermans.com. Okay. Well, and thank our, you our so cheese, much. I should say our cheese, because you said it's com. Oh, good, 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 good. So thank you very much. Thank um, you. And uh, it's been great to talk to you again. Well, I'm honored, and I believe if we all try to do a little bit better we can make a big difference. Okay. I hope so. I hope so. I'm feeling a little bit uh, uh, unexcited right now, but, you know, we'll see. Well, all we can do is change the part that we're near, and if we all do that, good things will happen. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Diane. You're welcome. Have a great day. Take good care. Okay. You too. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.